What's up, people? I'm super excited to drop this convo I had with Jeremy Johnson, the founder of the online mutations community and internationally recognized Gene Gepser scholar, currently pursuing his PhD at the California Institute of Integral Studies. In keeping with my theme of how I came to discover Michael Brooks and his use of integral theory in framing his ideas around cosmopolitan socialism, or the next left, as I like to call it, I owe Jeremy a tremendous debt. Like I shared in my trailer and first episode, I first came across Jeremy's work and book on Gene Gepser back in 2019 on TMBS, which eventually led me to join his Mutations Discord, discover many of his other online media projects. Make sure to check out the show notes to his pod, an interview with Michael. That said, we had a sweeping conversation going all the way back to his undergrad days at Fordham University, where he discovered the writings of Ken Wilber, Gene Gepser, William Irvin Thompson, started to get involved in leftist political thought through the influence of his sociology prof, Heather Gottney, who eventually became the senior policy advisor to Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign and author of the book, Crashing the Party, From the Bernie Sanders Campaign to a Progressive Movement. These formative experiences, along with the 2008 financial crash, Occupy Wall Street and the rise of online digital communities, eventually led him to pursue his master's in consciousness and media studies at Goddard College and befriend Michael Brooks, William Irvin Thompson, and becoming an internationally Gene Gepser scholar in the integral movement and diaspora following the controversies around Ken Wilber's Integral Institute adoption of conscious capitalism and the endless guru scandals. In any event, I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Some of the many other subjects that we touched upon are the religious left, modern Buddhism, Thomas Berry, Mary Evelyn Tucker, the Yale Forum on Religion and Ecology, Marshall McLuhan, Edgar Morin, Teilhard de Chardin, and the role of French-speaking Canadians in North America. So kick back and enjoy. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Jeremy. I really appreciate it. Good to see you. Hey, Eric. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on. So to kind of kick it off, though, because, I mean, uh, you know, in terms of how you kind of met Michael is an interesting journey because uh, you guys kind of share a bit of a similar story as well, right? You're kind of part of the integral diaspora. So I kind of want to just kind of get you to kind of wrap on that and just kind of, you know, how, how, how did you kind of meet and, you know, how did your, your worlds collide? Yeah. Thanks, Eric. Um, so we were both interested in integral theory and the community around integral theory. And I, I think the way in which we knew about each other was, was simply through um, our online network of integral theory enthusiasts, right? So I think we were both friends on Facebook because the first message I got from him was a private message. We were already friends. We had friends at each other years before um, on Facebook at some point. And uh, I, I guess maybe he thought that was the only way to kind of reach out and get in contact with me directly. He knew there was a line of connection there. And um, uh, I, I don't remember the context in which we initially friended each other, but it must've been early on in, in Michael's own career, I mean, just in terms of his, his um, uh, presence on the majority report. Uh, it, I don't know. I'll have to look and see, because I don't even know if that account is, is, is there anymore. But um, yeah, we were basically just part of this extended network where everybody knows everybody who's interested in integral theory. And he reached out uh, really right around the time of the Jordan Peterson phenomena and uh, the intellectual dark web phenomena. Uh, 
to seeing if I'd be interested in talking with him and his and his listeners about integral theory and how that might plug in in terms of um, some kind of insight about different worldview perspectives, right? And how we can kind of skillfully navigate that. And I, I found that to be um, great because I know a part of our context is we both were not only interested in integral theory, but also the works of William Irwin Thompson. Um, so we had a nice long chat. We just had a nice long phone conversation unpacking everything and kind of going, okay, here's how you came to Integral and here's how I came to it. And, you know, you're doing this really interesting media uh, podcasting show hosting thing. Um, and and th that was a kind of interesting direction. I think Michael went, what was he had this background in really a spiritual counterculture, right. And kind of alternative um, theory culture about, we, we haven't really unpacked that yet in this, in this, uh, conversation, but integral theory being this sort of meta theory of everything that sort of tries to integrate, um, science and spirituality and politics and economy and philosophy. And there's a kind of meta framework for doing that. But, um, I think it was appealing to, to Michael's intellect and his own natural capacity to say, Hey, let's think across different disciplines and see how they all sort of work together. Right. What's the larger framework here? Uh, so I think Wilbur was naturally appealing for him in that way. And, and he never fully got over integral theory when he moved into politics, right? Moved into journalism. Uh, and it seemed like it was starting to make a comeback in his life, like in terms of maybe this is applicable in this context of heated culture war divide and debate and, and, and feeding that into a kind of meta analysis in which um, he was already doing that in his own sort of approach that he eventually called cosmopolitan socialism. But it, very much it's that, you know, that idea of, well, okay, the right is addressing things like meaning and spirituality. Um, the left shouldn't shy away from that and try to have our own analysis of that and include that. And so he had a disposition towards an integral approach in general. Um, so that's kind of the context. It was it was the intellectual dark web and and meeting up to talk to uh the talk to his audience about integral theory, I think in one of the illicit histories. I think that was a context of it. Uh just testing the waters a little bit for for uh political sphere and integral theory. And and uh part of our ongoing conversations was was attempting to go, okay, how do we strategically introduce meta theory and integral theory or Bill Thompson's work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as a kind of alternative to the Jordan Petersons of the world, right? As an alternative to the intellectual dark web that's coming more from a left-leaning analysis while integrating some of those dimensions that have maybe not been as well included in the history of the left. So, but yeah. I guess this is it, because the, that's the interesting too, I guess, about the integral movement and integral theory is that it really is a, a sort of online phenomena. You know, I mean, like it, it, integral kind of the integral institute when it originally launched, launched through integral naked and integral naked eventually became the integral institute. And I mean, that was an exciting time for a, a lot of people uh, in terms of that kind of how it came to be. I mean, Ken Wilber was, you know, the kind of the brain behind that whole movement. And he was a bit of a, you know, he wasn't exactly that much of a public person before kind of launching all of that. Um, I guess, so how far, because this is the other thing too that we kind of touch upon, like how far back do you go back, I guess, in the integral kind of theory and integral movement as a whole? Because if I remember correctly, I think you said you had participated in some of the integral theory conferences back in the day as well, if I understand correctly, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I started off uh, at the 2013 Meta Integral Conference in, was it San Francisco? Um, 
and and that one was my first one. And I had been invited actually by the organizers to be the the live blogger for the conference. So I was the glorified cool. okay. um, blogger tweeter, you know, there to kind of help promote it, but also getting basically a free ticket into the conference and and going to as many of the panels and presentations as possible. So. Uh, but that was 2013. And, and then even before then, I'd say I was very much involved in that internet community between you know, Integral Naked. Um, I really began an earnest interest in Integral Theory probably when I was in undergrad. So that would probably throw it back to 2006, 2007. Yeah. Um, and really even that started. is an interesting background of yours because you were at Fordham University at the time, right? So you were doing right. undergrad yeah. there. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, so Interestingly enough, I was throwing around integral theory. I, I ended up uh, going into sociology as my undergrad major, um, maybe primarily because my professor, my sociology professor, had the collected works of Ken Wilber. Um, she had never read, but nevertheless, they were they were there, and so <laughs> there was a point of interest and connection. And and she was curious about my own countercultural. Um, disposition and and wanted to kind of weave that into her own understanding. This is actually some folks may know her, Heather Gottney. She helped with the the Bernie campaign and uh, wrote a book about the the first campaign and has been sort of a part of the second campaign as well as an advisor. So she's been very much involved since then in a lot of um, what's been going on in culture. But uh, but yeah, but, but Fordham and just in general, I mean, Thomas Barry is originally from Fordham. I mean, he, he yeah. taught there and he pretty much launched their whole religious studies program, which yeah. is an interesting connection and background. I mean, the few times that we did talk, I mean, I'm always so impressed with, you know, kind of your your own kind of uh, academic background, because from Fordham, you ended up at Goddard. And now from Goddard, you're now up at the California Institute of Integral Studies. And yet you've been surfing this this whole this whole wave this whole time, which is so cool to, well, for me anyways, I guess from being from Montreal and Quebec and being a Canadian, kind of following all of this online is to finally actually go and connect with people not necessarily really in the flesh, but I mean, be part of a community and ongoing discussions about this, this movement that's impacted so many people in so many different ways. Um, and it's gone global now. Um, and I guess the interesting thing for me is that, I mean, cause I got introduced to Michael through McManus. So I had no idea. Right. So, you know, he, he kept on dropping or, you know, I started to go and follow Jacobin a little more closely and then, you know, I, I essentially I stumbled across your video with Michael about Gene Gepser. And I was just like, what is going on? Like, I don't understand. And how come I never made that connection all the way out on the left, you know, in terms of what was going on in terms of, you know, what he, McManus will go, actually go out and call as millennial socialism or basically the whole Bernie movement uh, as a whole. Uh, because I, I like I, you know, like I'm pretty transparent in terms of my own kind of where I fall in the political spectrum. I mean, I've always gone out and considered myself a progressive. I've never really con considered myself uh, a, a Marxist or a socialist. Uh, not that, you know, I'm allergic to it in any way. Like I've always, you know, thought that Marx, Marxist humanism in, in its general is an amazing uh, sort of uh, – intellectual tradition along with the, the, the Frankfurt school of critical theory. Uh, so I've never had that allergy kind of like so many people kind of do today, <laughs> which is an interesting one. 
So that's how I, I discovered you. And but so when you were at Fordham, I guess that's before you ever knew Michael. And if I understand correctly, Michael at this time was kind of involved in the integral movement on some levels and big time into kind of the insight meditation community. So he was doing a lot of Buddhist type background this whole time and to the lead up, I guess, to, to you guys eventually meeting and kind of launching his sort of online media career, if I understand correctly, would, would you say that's correct or? Yeah, I think, um, like, like I was mentioning, we, we knew of each other. We knew we were, you know, we, we were on each other's radar and, and even in our first conversation, Michael was commenting on like, Oh, Hey, you know, Linda's farm and built on my, my own thinking. Right. Um, so, so I don't know, I, I don't know if, if we ever attended a live event and just didn't know each other, you know, it was a different context. I don't think that's the case, but we were at least close enough to be in each other's circles. And, um, yeah, I think, I think Michael is very much in, more interested in the spiritual Buddhist dimensions of practice. And I think he was some, something Leisha published on uh, TMBS about him thinking about going in that direction in terms of his, his career, right. And, and moving more into the political side of things. Uh, so, so it was definitely important for him and it continued to be throughout his career in terms of doing, doing Buddhist retreats and having spiritual teacher. And, um, I mean, that was kind of our conversation as well. He would ask like, who, who's your teacher? What practices do you do? So it's, it was always a part of his, his life going, going forward from that time. Um, so by the time we did meet each other, that was also the sort of subtext is like, you know, you know, all about integral theory. I know all about it. We've seen each other in these networks before. We have a mutual appreciation for each other's work. Let's actually have a conversation and unpack that and see if we can do something interesting. So um, that's really how it began, you know. And uh, I, I was really interested in uh, again that the kind of strategic thinking he had about uh, if if the left is is missing a kind of meta praxis, right? Being able to link different traditions and theory and positions and hold it in a, in a larger framework, then I think he saw integral theory or some kind of meta theory as, as one potential way to effectively begin to hold that against, you know, processes of atomizing and fighting each other online, right? Um, so he was looking for something cutting edge, I think, for the left, something that would really kind of bring it into this context of uh, maybe one more thing too with, with Barry, right? Uh, uh, and and Teilhard is this sense of the planetary, right? And I think he was very very much drawn to that. And Wilbur talks about that quite a bit. And 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 in Wilbur's language, it's more of this sense of the world centrism, right? And I, I think Michael saw the traditions on the left as certainly um, in orbit around this world centric or planetary turn, right? And needing the kind of metapraxis and and forms of complexity cognition to be able to hold the cosmo, right? The cosmic and the local or the international and the, and the, and the local that he talks about in his, his last video. So it, he was kind of growing towards his own approach to integral theory. I think that was, um, again, very parallel to the way maybe Wilbur was doing, but, uh, much more politics centered in terms of how do we actually transform our society and not just, uh, double down on neoliberalism or centrism or something along those lines, which he mm -hmm. saw happening in a lot of spiritual communities and within the integral community itself, right? There's a kind of warming up to the possibility that um, their theory of different worldviews could be applied uh, by somebody like Karl Rove, right? Or George Bush. There, there's a few videos of integral naked back in the day of Wilbur kind of um, 
curiously or even just the the Anne Rand sort oh, of stuff that they ran yeah. too, which is just and that when came I think later. back to it now. Yeah. It's so cringe <laughs> now that I think back to it. Uh, in terms yeah. of uh oh yeah, the, the the whole series on the Anne Rand and the uh Nathaniel Daniels, I think his name was, is the particular psychologist who actually had an affair with her. They did like a whole series on that. It was quite like I had no idea about that and nor did I know very much about Anne Rand and the sort of philosophy that she was advocating at the time. But now that you bring that up, that is a bit of a, a flash back to that. But in terms of your own politics, though, where did you get radicalized? Because I guess from Fordham, then obviously you ended up at Goddard. And then, I mean, where would, I guess, Occupy fall into that too? Because Occupy was a bit of a, it threw a bit of a wrench in the, the integral sort of movement sphere. Like when I think back about Marco, Marco started to, you know, post things online to become, he was I'd probably say one, of, another sort of one that kind of went a little more radical within the so-called, you know, integral movement itself. Um, and yet you've kind of paralleled or followed along, along that path as well. So you were, you know, always very much on the left or much more on the left than I would have kind of considered myself to be. So how did you get radicalized to, to the left or how did you start to develop your own sort of left socialist or progressive sort of philosophy and political orientation through this whole period? That's a really good question. I, um, I think I had a disposition for it earlier before Occupy and maybe around the time of 2007, 2008 during the actual recession leading up to Occupy. But uh, part of that was being very interested in, in meta theory and integral theory and, and, and almost flirting with the idea of maybe doing something with it academically, which I did end up going to Goddard to, to unpack and continue to explore. But um, And what, what year did you land up at, at Goddard? I think it was 2009 or 2010 and I'm, I'm it's a little fuzzy now, but uh, yeah. I graduated um, in, in 2012. So it, about a two year program. So, um, but yeah, before Goddard though, in the context of, of reading Wilbur and um, getting familiar with the field of sociology and, and uh, the Frankfurt school and you know, all the things that you get introduced to in undergrad in that context, um, Deleuze and Guattari and, uh, just that was the kind of atmosphere I was swimming in, right? Sort of leftists or Manuel Delanda's work on uh, on uh, networks and complexity and a thousand years of nonlinear histories. So my my professors were were feeding all that to me as at the same time I was reading Wilbur and noticing a kind of um, uh, tension there, and that Wilbur's political theory seemed to be drifting more towards this. I don't know. Let's manipulate different worldviews. Whereas I saw some kind of radical potential in this theory of networks, right? Or Hart and Negri's work. Um, so it was just an intuition rather than something fully articulated at the time. But there was a sense that our socioeconomic or organizational structures need to be looked at. And I see this happening more on the left, right? In the, in the context of these theorists than I see necessarily in um, my, my meta theory groups or integral theory groups, right? There was a sort of dismissiveness or kind of... Um, um, neutrality when it came to networks or technology or economics. For them, there was this internalization of worldview that was more important than the, I don't know, the medium in which we were swimming, right? But I, I just didn't see that as, as disconnected. And I didn't see Wilbur going in that direction. So, no, so that I mean, was the initial is, break. But the other thing too is that, I mean, this is the point where I guess 
you know, Integral Naked and the Integral Institute sort of adopted a sort of conscious capitalism sort of based approach, right? They start to go the big route of, you know, running workshops for businesses. One of their largest probably, you know, cohorts of people going through there is, you know, applying integral theory to the business, right? And to the, the whole consulting and organizational development and leadership development to a certain way within a, you know, business context. Uh, not that they didn't go out and apply that to the third sector or to other spheres of, you know, in higher education, stuff like that, but it got a very sort of corporate feel, right? That they were going that route. Let, let everybody's going to go out and become sort of a business consultant, a coach, uh, and we're going to go out and apply this to, 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 you know, basically the neoliberal sort of framework and corporatism that was so prevalent during that time period. Um, and that's where I started to get really turned off because I was stuck in that environment. Like I was working for Dell Computer Corporation at that time and I had one foot in the university and I was just like, no, guys, don't go that way. You know, like I was really not, you know, like I just started to see what was happening within the the integral movement uh, and integral institute as well. And then obviously some of the, you know, some of the, the, the online gossiping type stuff that start to happen around that time, you know, in terms of everything around, you know, the mismanagement around money, the, the guru uh, fallout and stuff like that. And the guru fallout stuff was a big one for me because I was actually in religious studies. So I was surrounded by people that were, you know, very interested in contemporary spiritual movements as a sociological and anthropological sort of, uh, of framing and looking at, you know, at Buddhism within the North American context, but they were, looking for that they were waiting for that type of stuff to kind of go out and pop up because of the history around it so i just got so disenchanted around that time and then you know occupy hit everything else hit and then i saw marco you know kind of radicalize within that sort of framework with terry actually i was even surprised that terry you know encouraged him and participated in some of his sort of integral revolution sort of postings that they start to go and talk about, right? And let's go and do Integral Occupy. And there was a, f- a fragmenting at that period. Um, so looking, you know, kind of, you know, looking at this kind of reflecting back on it and thinking about some of our own conversations and kind of thinking about Michael now, like I, I was wondering, you know, like how, how, you know, how are the, all these things lined up? You know, where was Michael at this time? And I've been thinking, obviously, you know, kind of where were you at this time as well? So, but you, so you landed up at Goddard roughly, or you, you were finishing up at Goddard roughly around that time period, essentially. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was um, still working on my, my master's thesis, but uh, <laughs> I was in Florida at the time uh, working at um at a school here as a, as a, as a gig, um, I was very transient in terms of where I was located between New York and Florida, and um, so you know I actually missed being being able to go into and be present you know at Occupy in New York, and I I kind of kicked myself a little bit for leaving New York right at the moment when something historical and interesting was happening there, but okay. nevertheless right the context was I was deeply immersed in what was going on and how it had to do with millennial generation. And again, like this, the, the, the historical context, of course, was like, Twitter was still kind of seen as this potential political tool, right? Um, we were talking about flash mobs, and I was learning in classes about, you know, the, the ability for 
cell phones to help uh, create an effective protest in the Seattle 1999 um, protests, right? An anti-globalization movement. So, so there was this fermentation of, of technology, economy, and, and uh, politics, right? That were swirling around in my head in the theories of networks. And, and, and that was sort of the milieu I was in. And that's mostly why I was beginning to break away from uh, some of integral theories work because I felt it wasn't really addressing the, the, the historical moment we were actually in. It was sort of beginning to like integral naked switched over to integral life. And as you said, there's more of a, there's more of a corporate focus, right? So it just wasn't speaking to the present and what was going on, what was going on with Occupy certainly was. And Graeber, of course, I started to tune into some of his work then. That was really around the time I discovered Graeber in that context. Um, and I felt that if we're going to talk about the transformation or evolution of worldviews and societies, we there should be tons of commentary coming out from the integral world about what's happening. And the analysis I was seeing was very detached or wasn't very interested or it was looking at other things, right? Um, we're not sufficiently getting to the roots of, of, of the crisis in, in the kind of systemic gestalt that Occupy was trying to do, right? Um, so, so all of that was, was kind of the context for me, but I think, you know, maybe also for Michael as well, kind of seeing that, you know, and, and as you mentioned that the guru crisis was happening. So there was just a general falling out to sort of a dissonance at every level, the spiritual, uh, understanding our, our, our moment of socioeconomic transformation, right. Or crisis, uh, not really speaking to things on the spiritual or the, or the political side, just sort of had me begin to move on, you know, and, and seek out folks like Gepser or Bill Thompson. I started a correspondence with Bill Thompson at the time during my, my uh, graduate work. Um, so, so yeah, I, I moved on basically. I moved on from integral theory in, in the sense of, I became an outsider to the, to the outsider group itself because they're still rather fringe. Um, and it was actually in that context, they invited me to be the first blogger um, or the 2013 to be the live blogger for that conference because they knew I was a bit critical in distance, right? And um, I did strike up some conversations and friendship with Marco Morelli here referencing. And uh, Terry Patton has, uh, you mentioned Terry who passed away last year. Um, you know, he had a kind of a interesting history in terms of being a part, generationally speaking, with the counterculture and in the 1960s and 70s and his parents being more positioned on the left and, and growing up in kind of radical communal spaces. So, so he has an interesting history and that I think has um, uh, made him be one of those in the movement that was more open to talking about these kinds of things or encouraging Marco to write manifestos on Occupy and et cetera. So that was probably the most interesting thing coming out of Integral. Inter the integral movement as a whole at the time was was Terry and Marco's work on a sort of Occupy integral as it were. Yeah. Yeah. And, but the technology thing too is is interesting because a lot of the stuff you've been posting to the Discord as well, I've been really appreciating that because there was this element of the technology is going to go out and free us, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Like, you know, there was supposed to be some sort of and even in terms of when I think about, you know, how, well, the, the whole thing around the internet, right? The internet was going to go out and transform everything. It's going to go out and free us more time. We're going to go out and have more leisure time. Uh, but that's not how things unfolded, right? I mean, somehow it just, the technology started to go out and implement and start to go out and take hold and co-opt everything. Uh, so that whole shift as well, um, 
I mean, that's not, you know, somebody who's been in religious studies, not that I was, you know, I was kind of working for Dell Computer Corporation and I worked for, uh, for HP and Compaq and some of the major larger resellers that, you know, that were fueling the sort of, you know, the dot-com sort of uh, period and stuff like that. So I, you know, like I, w- I had one foot in there, but my interest was always much more around kind of like you, you know, like much more interested in consciousness studies and the, the you know, where does religion go out and meet you know, philosophy of mind and the philosophy of nature and stuff like that. So I got to geek out in university around some of that stuff. Um, but my professors were not that open to it. They were v- much more grounded in the sort of critical theory tradition than Habermas. And they were, you know, they, they, they want to go out and deconstruct everything. They want to go out and deconstruct religion and that, you know, there was nothing great about it. If they saw anything, it was basically, uh, you know, it's secularism is going to go out and win the day. Uh, so that was a big thing for me as well in terms of university. But, you know, interacting with you in terms of the Discord and some of the stuff that you've been posting there, I've just been really appreciating some of the background type stuff around how tech uh, is 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 an unexplored or sort of un... Uh, well, I mean, there are some people, I guess, close to the integral movement that you know that they can go narrate that story but i haven't been following it as closely as you have and that's something that you've been really been teaching me there quite a lot and some of the the people that you've been posting along that um and they're also involved somewhat on the level with jacobin as well i can't remember that one book that you you posted and you were talking about in that one podcast from the dig yeah that was some that was a uh, Fred Turner's from counterculture to cyberculture. Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a great book and the podcast on Jacobin is is fantastic. It really sums up some of the main, major beats of the book in terms of tracing the individuals who were part of the counterculture in the 1970s building these alternative um, you know, post hippie communes, right? Walking away from urban life and going to going out to a romanticized sense of nature, and then attempting these experimental communities, and most of them falling apart, right? Um, but then after the kind of implosion of those communities in the 1970s, a lot of those folks moving to cyberculture, to a kind of utopian cyberculture. If it wasn't um, this kind of neo agrarian communal lifestyle, then maybe technology had some kind of role to play in creating a utopian civilization, right? Or a, um, and so, you know, there, there's some major themes of libertarianism that kind of transport over into cyber culture, but he makes it, he does a great job kind of connecting those themes to kind of help us understand why so many of the problems with the counterculture in the 70s translated over into the latent issues of uh, digital utopianism, right? That that we end up getting the kind of world that we have today has some part to do with the kind of politics and and, and uh, the ideology of, of those folks who are kind of making those communes and then moving over to things like whole earth catalog. And, um, and you know, the idea that we, we have our own kind of sovereignty and that computers can help liberate us from systems of control and we can go forth and sort of create our own reality, right? Um, a kind of merge of, of the, the natural and the technological, which has always been part of the 1970s counterculture and translated right into digital counterculture or cybertopia. Um, 
as a, what was it called? Siberia, that old Doug Rushkoff book that he wrote way back in like 1990, 91. And you have this kind of crossover with folks like Timothy Leary, who are very interested in the, in technology and computers as a kind of psychedelic, right? So there's, there's so much synergy between in, in this historical period between the sixties into the eighties as a kind of foundation of, of, um, again, cyber utopianism. So I found that to be fascinating. And uh, yeah, Jack so, had been, but that, uh, so that's what drew you into Goddard, and that's kind of what you end up started focusing on, I guess, in terms of some of the stuff in terms of McLuhan and some of your interests around yeah. theory of communication and that type of stuff. So that's where, I guess, you got drawn into at yeah, that and the point. theorists who, who who were looking at that, like you mentioned, Marsh, Marshall McLuhan, media ecology and media studies, uh, Neil Postman, right? The, the to, to my memory anyway, I can't really recall Wilbur really looking at McLuhan in a serious no. way or Postman or any kind of media media studies approach. And I felt that was so essential. Like you just had to be literate about that field in order to be navigating I mean, even today, but certainly at the time when Twitter was new and and Occupy was was still happening, it felt like you know we well, needed the, the a whole cyberpunk thing too, right? I mean, is is a big thing. Like when I think about Mark Fisher, Mark Fisher was never really kind of, I mean, in terms of anti globalization and that type of stuff. And cyberpunk is a whole other genre, uh, you know that 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 zero bucks is really gone out, gone out and sort of monopolized. And I mean, they've really gone out. But I mean, me in religious studies. I mean, I would have never really kind of fallen into that. And, you know, being French Canadian up in Montreal and, you know, not really that's, that, that's like all new to me in a certain way. So once I got introduced to like Doug Lane and some of the stuff that was going on in terms of Zizek, I mean, even Zizek was foreign to me. That's not somebody that we talked about in religious studies and stuff like that. So even when I did fall back into the sort of corporate world type stuff, I mean, I was just totally engrossed in the very sort of neoliberal sort of business development, organizational development, and that, you know, there was the odd people that would go out and talk about cybernetics and how cybernetics and dot matrix organizations can go out and be, you know, implemented. And some of those theories can go out and be applied to industrial relations and stuff like that. But it's nothing at all like the stuff that you're talking about there. So even in terms of, you know, uh, uh, zero books in terms of cyberpunk and Mark Fisher, I mean, that to me is all new as well. So once I saw all these worlds colliding to me, this is like, wow, this is like a whole other world, you know, that I was not focusing it on at all. So once I discovered Michael and obviously I discovered some of your stuff and you were dropping lane all the time. And I was like, what is going on? So like the integral movement is even infiltrated or there has been an impact, I guess, in some of these circles as well. Um, and Rush, uh, 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 Duff, oh, I can't remember his name, but the, uh, the guy who goes on, the. uh, the uh, the other technologist that kind of writes uh, who wrote the book uh, in terms of uh, throwing rocks at the the Google yeah, books. yeah Doug Rushkoff then yeah Doug Rushkoff yeah. um you know he's another sort of writer and and thinker that I've never really kind of focused in on that much either so you know like discovering you and Matt and then obviously discovering uh, Michael was just like I was like oh my god like this is wild this is like for me it was like you know, as a progressive that, you know, guess what? There is an integral left. There is this thing going on on the left that I was just not paying attention to. There is, uh, you know, a sort of uh, of worldview that is just not even 
most people within the integral movement or even progressives are just not aware of. And I was one of them. Like I even found myself, this is the funny thing is that, like I found myself being pulled to the right because of the whole rhetoric around, you know, this anti-green sort of, you know, the mean green mean and this sort of reactionary pull to that, you know, that postmodern deconstruction and cynicism has completely gone out and infected everything. But the reason why I was being pulled in that direction was I couldn't see a way forward on the left or even for progressives. You know, I just could not see it till I discovered you and, you know, Michael and uh, McManus. So, you know, like this is, <laughs> like, to me, you guys like allowed me to, to, to move to the left, not only move to the left, but also go out and start to th start thinking about a next left or an integral left that you guys were starting to push and articulate. And it was not visible to me at all at that time. Um, and I mean, that's why I'm so excited about it as well, because like, finally, like I saw a way through, there's something that we can do on the left to start articulate and organize and start to speak with one another uh, in terms of, of, and I wouldn't necessarily go out and say evolve, but um, construct uh, a better left, you know? And that's why I keep using the, the idea of the next left and, you know, I love even the idea of, of an integral left, but when I was interviewing Matt, like <laughs> he's, he's clueless. Like to him, that's just not part of his own personal uh, intellectual journey, right? Uh, but, you know, you and Michael and, you know, some of the other guys, you know, even Brent and, you know, that are playing around with metamodernism in terms of the way, like you guys have figured a way through this mess <laughs> in a certain way. And to me, that's so exciting, uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, what you guys are, you know, are, are doing. Um, so, but from Goddard, essentially, I mean, so you were obviously, I mean, you started unpacking Gene Gepser and you've become internationally now, I mean, the Gene Gepser guy. Like, so how did that happen? Like, that just kind of... You just picked up the book. You you love Gene Gepser, and then just start to throw your like. What what is a, a bit of the the history and background in terms of how you got involved on that level? So so that was um kind of part of my own move as an integral diaspora, right? In in the Occupy and post Occupy time, Gepser is one of the one of the thinkers that I was beginning to look at more in graduate school uh, for my research on new media, uh, because Gepser was looking, he wasn't a media theorist, but he was, he was very much interested in looking at, okay, what are the forms of technology or writing systems or language, right? The cultural phenomenology, let's actually look at that and understand how it's saying something about uh, the nature of our relationship with time and space, or as he says, structures of consciousness, or we might say from Wilbur worldviews, right? So, so Gepser was a way to bring a lot of the kind of abstractions from Wilbur, categorical mapping and theorizing and where everybody fits in, in his, his kind of theory of everything. It brought those dimensions to life and it really enriched my sense of um, what was missing with Wilbur. Like really in order to engage with the times you need theorists, you were actually looking at the kind of media, the communication mediums, of course, with, with, with uh, media studies and um, economic systems. So, so what are the actual cultural structures that we're living in and communicating with? Like, we really have to understand that and lean into that. And I found Gepser to be just a very 
um, for myself anyway, creative and productive framing to just begin to think about this and apply this. And Thompson as well. I saw Bill Thompson is some, someone who, and he said this himself, that he considers himself a cultural phenomenologist as well. So it was partly also my, my correspondence with Bill Thompson talking about all of this and the relevance of Gepser and kind of encouraging me to continue down that path and really look at this stuff in a, in that way. Um, so I, I ended up going to the Gepser conferences and I did a talk. One of my first talks was on, uh, remix culture, postmodern pastiche and a perspectivity. I mean, it was, it was a bit of a mess, but it was attempting to hold together. Like what is media doing with time? How are we playing with different temporics as we uh, yeah, yeah. remix the past and the future, right? In the present. Um, so they were very interested in that. And so I just kind of stuck around and kept going to the conferences and ending up helping to organize a few of my own and, and, you know, that we rotate our conference venues across, uh, across the, the States here in a, in North America. So, um, I had a few chances to organize myself and ended up helping with the administration. I just sort of found my way drifting more and more into kind of stewarding and helping this organization, um, even on the tech side of things, just kind of managing their website and, and so on. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know when exactly it happened, but uh, I began to teach about Gepser. I was just very familiar with EPO at that point, Ever Present Origin. And then my colleague of uh, Revelor, uh, Revelor Press, Jen Zart, just nudged me into just write a book about it, write an introductory book. It could be a short little volume, just introducing yeah. this massive text and contextualizing it. And like, you, you could easily do that. Just throw an outline together and you'll see what I mean. So she kind of was nudging me to just put something out there. And I feel like at that point, that sort of catapulted me into the Gepser guy, being the Gepser guy, because okay. um, teaching, teaching Gepser every year, organizing the conferences, uh, getting a little bit involved with like the media ecology conference too, and kind of saying, Hey, McLuhan and Gepser have a lot of uh, overlap and, and synergy. So let's, let's talk about that. And Bill Thompson did the same thing in, in some of his writings. So, so yeah, there's a lot of synergy with that. And I think um, for me, again, Gepser really brought it to these questions of how are we, how are we being in the world, right? What is our relationship with time and space? What's the experience of being in a late capitalist or post um, post 9-11 society, right? And metamodernism, they call it structure of feeling. Um, Gepser was sort of looking at that, you know, and, and, and he wasn't shying away from talking about and having a political analysis of things and um, discussing the Cold War at the time because he's mid-century thinker. Uh, so, so there's many ways in which I felt Gebser's understanding of um, fragmentation of disciplines and thinking and um, the kind of repercussions of that, that are echoing into the present. And Wilbur talks about this too, for sure, about, you know, the problem of siloing knowledge. And you mentioned mean green meme, right, is this um, overemphasis on postmodern deconstruction. Um, but I feel like Gebser sort of more coherently articulates that without getting trapped in this, um, uh, how exactly to put it, uh, he's not really interested in, in, in engaging. There wasn't a culture war at his time, but he's not really stuck in this sort of, let we need to get through this mean green meme period. He's very much interested in sort of what's coming up after that. And I think he very much anticipated the kind of thinking we're exploring today and transdisciplinary thinking and uh, actual applications to, to meta theory. So I just found Gepser to be much more productive and fruitful and creative and, and engaging for me as a thinker. 
then I found Wilbur. Um, and maybe but, I mean, the big but it, it period it adds a certain history to it as well. That's something that I get so annoyed with in terms of kind of the integral theory and integral movement around Wilbur is that, I mean, he has, he's become sort of a guru type figure around the theory itself, right? And then all of a sudden it gets completely dehistoricized. And that's something that, you know, Michael and you, I mean, every time I talk to you guys or I listen to you guys, uh, well, I've never talked to Michael, but I mean, like every time I listen to you guys, you guys are always rehistoricizing the, 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 and contextualizing the history of it. And by doing that, I mean, it adds a whole new set of connections that just weren't there before, or you might have not have seen, and it creates new pathways. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, and that's the amazing thing about it is that it creates more of a, a mesh network than it does a certain development, a clear developmental kind of ladder, you know, that I think is just so problematic around stuff around integral theory. Yeah, um, that, that ultimately I think was a difference, right? That the theorists I started to gravitate towards had a more, were attempting to be more descriptive rather than prescriptive. And I know you can never cleave the two neatly, but uh, I, I think attempting to allow for historicity, nonlinear processes, material history itself to profoundly factor into our analysis of, you know, what are the, what are the social trends? If, if, even if this is a cultural evolution and things are developing in certain ways, uh, having those dimensions in our analysis is, has to be fundamental, right? Foundational. There, it adds a level of complexity that I, that I find that, um, uh, emphasizing sort of an abstract sequence that the world has to kind of fit into in terms of how it's moving along. Um, I, I just haven't found intellectually satisfying. Right. Um, and you know, one of the, one of the thinkers that really hones in on this is Edgar Morin's work. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I've only really past couple of years have come to appreciate him, uh, very similar to Gepser in that sense. And, uh, I had been just introducing Morin uh, to, to, to Michael uh, around the time when uh, Michael passed away, which is so unfortunate because I feel like he would have really grabbed onto Morin's work in terms of, um, you know, Morin's theory of complexity, uh, his incorporation, not only of, you know, for him, it's not just a meta theory that includes everything. It's, it's, um, it's a kind of relational and dialogical process, right? It's a kind of process-oriented theory and application. And I, I found that to be present in Gepser as well, right? Like when you hold things in complexity, you have to factor in history. And then the, the, a, a neat theory of how things unfold becomes less and less sensible, right? There, things become messier. And we need a theoretical framework to hold that mess and not just clean it up, right? But mm -hmm. actually kind of work with it. Oh, word. for sure. But, and, and that kind of brings in the whole continental tradition as well. I mean, if you start bringing in French thinkers and stuff like that. Um, and that's the interesting thing, too, now that you're up at the California Institute of Integral Studies, is that that's a whole hub or network that gets left out of the story. So, I mean, that's another thing, too, that I'm super happy to see because, I mean, obviously, I mean, Matt Segal's work and Sean Kelly. And Sean Kelly, I mean, he's Canadian and he's the one, if I understand correctly, I think he's the one translating most of uh, Edgar Morin's stuff from French into English. That's uh, right, that's right. Uh, which I think is fantastic. And the California Institute of Integral Studies has a very always had a very sort of standoffish critical stance towards uh, Wilbur and integral theory and some of the directions that it's been kind of taking on. 
so I mean, like I, I'm so happy to see that development happening as well. That you know, you and uh, Matt are just kind of because you guys are bringing in you know a larger history there around integral that is not just integral theory uh, around Wilbur. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the reason why I've gravitated away as well. And I'm starting to go and talk about it in terms of integral facticity, because facticity is, is, is a big, uh, topic obviously within Heidegger's philosophy, uh, that I'm seeing too many people on the right going out and trying to co-opt Heidegger. So my goal is really to go and bring in that dimension and go and be like, listen, you know what, uh, if you are a progressive or if you are on the left, that we can go out and talk about Heidegger um, in, in a constructive and positive way. Uh, but yet we need to go out and remain critical. Um, and I think Matt does a really good job of that. Actually, he brought that up in terms of the podcast itself that, you know, like we need to go be careful in terms of how leftists and progressives go out and talk about the sort of Heideggerian sort of phenomenon and stuff like that. But I think we need to be courageous and be willing to go out in there and start to have that conversation as well. Uh, so, you know, what you're doing and Matt's doing as well. And Matt is so deep within the, the German idealist tradition. And so is Sean Kelly um, and everybody up at the, the California Institute of Integral Studies that I'm so happy that that's starting to bubble up. Right. And Matt is, has a great reputation, you know, within so many circles as well. And you have extremely broad uh, influence as well. Uh, not only just kind of in mainstream sort of integral IDW and the so-called, you know, metamodern type space, but your scope and your, 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 your breadth of, of, of ability to go and swim through all of this is always, I mean, I see you being <laughs> a great, not only a great ally, but a great weapon kind of moving forward. You guys, you and Matt, I see so much, uh, so much hope there in terms of, you know, th this sort of next generation of people that are going out and moving in. And uh, so I'm super, I'm excited, but I'm scared all at the same time, you know, like in terms of everything that's going on geopolitically um, is frightening, but yet there's so much stuff going on too, as well right now. Um, a lot of it is sort of dumbed down and, you know, but there are pockets of people that are doing some really amazing type stuff. Um, so I'm super pleased about that. Um, and, and I guess that's kind of where I want to go and kind of touch on, like, like where are you kind of emotionally and, and, and in terms of overall spirit in terms of, you know, like everything that's kind of going on, how do you, you know, what kind of cycle are you cycling through right now? I guess, and, you know, in terms of, are, are we on the way up or yeah. on the way down or <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I think I'm on the way up lately um yeah but you know in, in the context of doing classes at uh at cis now and and i haven't made it official yet but i think i will be going on the integral ecology track in, in the doctoral program which is very much it's sean kelly's um track in in terms of how he's been really i mean he he kind of well one of his students was sean hargens sean Esborn hargens oh, okay, cool. who, who did the integral ecology integral theory approach to integral ecology and and uh so it's very rooted in again Thomas Berry and Teilhard um, integral theory, Edgar Moran, and and now I kind of see my role as sort of bringing Gepser into that fold as as a thinker to contribute to this. But 
what I appreciate about that approach is it's so very much focused on not just transformations of worldview, but also the kind of cosmopolitical dimensions of this. You know, what does it actually mean to become planetary in a in 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 the political context, in the socioeconomic transformative context, right? So it's it's looking at those things in a way that is far more direct um, than per se, like Wilbur's, who kind of floats in this sort of mid middling neoliberal space, right, or, or centrist space. And I don't, I don't, haven't found that, again, very, very helpful. So, so there's a lot of intellectually fruitful discussion in the program. Um, but on the other hand, there's been a kind of heaviness just about Anthropocene conditions, global carbon emissions, COP26 not really doing much. So there is this kind of sense of, well, how do we deal with um, the, the, the possible conditions of living through a very difficult um, environmental century, right, where collapse or a kind of distributed or partial collapse of, of our supply chains, our economic systems, et cetera, are all kind of very real possibilities at this point. So there's a lot of existential um, existential threat that's sort of looming in, in the face of working on this PhD in this program. And I think all the students feel like that too, right? Um, and in the context of what's going on right now in Ukraine, it's it's um, it's been a mix of, right, there's been kind of an interesting coming back down to earth, right? There's a sort of uh, a shock at the historicity of this moment that actually a lot of the circles that I talk with, they, they express a kind of surprise that they feel like the past is coming back. And, and, and to me, it's a vindication, like, yes, we need to be looking at how history, material history and geopolitics continue to inform the present if we want to imagine a different future. So um, I, the, the silver lining, I guess I'm saying is that maybe there's a, there's a turning back towards that historicity in a way that kind of gets us a bit more grounded like we need to be in order to deal with any of these challenges. So that's been kind of a, a, a cautiously hopeful take for me recently on, on what's been happening. Um, getting back to the, to the earth, as it were, being more, uh, Edgar Morin talks about it as, um, um, planetary consciousness is, is a being there with the planet, right? And I think that also means being there with, his, with geopolitical history and material history. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I don't know if that's exactly an answer, but it's, it's a, a cautious um, hope. I wouldn't say it's an optimism, but, but it's a cautious hope, right? That any of these um, forms of, of, of disruption and, and, and uh, uh, implosion, as it were, in our social order, uh, are opportunities to start thinking about what they're also talking to us about, right? Any kind, the way we fall apart actually teaches us about what we need to be doing to transform. Um, and again, like I think any of these disruptions in, in the past 20 years, like, you know, millennials growing up with something, one thing after another, whether it's pandemic or recession or the next economic recession, and now th these conditions with Ukraine and Russia and um, everything else going on, it's, it's an opportunity to kind of pay attention and learn those histories so we can be better equipped to navigate the rest of the century, right? Because it's not going to get easier necessarily. Um, that doesn't sound very hopeful, but to me, it, it, it is in the sense like everybody I think is um, being invited to get more grounded in history, in the planet, in ecology, in supply chains, et cetera. We're, we're, we're being forced to think about those things in a way that we um, haven't had to do before, right? 
And, well, there, uh, there are new opportunities in that as well. I mean, that was something that too, that when I was talking to, to Matt, or even when I listened to guys like Burgess or, uh, you know, more people within kind of the socialist, uh, real, you know, so-called leftist, I guess you can go out and say in terms of how they would go out and frame it, that they're, um, that, you know, they don't, they don't see the new right or postmodern conservatism as a positive, um, and to me, I mean, I, it's a double-edged sword, right? I mean, I'm seeing a new right that's evolving or changing or adapting to what's been going on on the left, you know, for a long, long time. Uh, and that it's forcing us, you know, if you, follow, if, you, if you are progressive or if you follow all of a sudden on the left, I mean, we have to get so much sharper. We need to go and, you know, get better in terms of our overall arguments and positioning and also in terms of how we go and engage politics, uh, that to me is not a bad thing. You know, all of a sudden I just think we're, we're being pushed back against. So there needs to go and be uh, some sort of realignment and what that realignment is turning out to be and the way that's going to go and play out. I mean, I think it's anybody's game and it's, you know, anything can go and happen. Uh, but within those, you know, historical moments uh, of great change, I mean, there's big opportunities there as well for, for transformation or for decay or, you know, for violence as well. So, I mean, it's, it's anything can go out and happen. Uh, but I'm finding myself, you know, kind of, you know, cycling in and out of that and having a tough time to go and, you know, just kind of, okay, well, you know, this is just is what's arising here. These are some of the opportunities. Uh, but I mean, there's just some amazing people now that are coming up through the ranks. I mean, a guy like McManus, I mean, you and, uh, and Matt as well. I mean, Matt's amazing interview that he just did on Rev Left on process philosophy. I don't know if you had the time to listen to that. I, I didn't yet, but I'm really looking forward to oh that. Oh yeah. my God, he <laughs> killed it. He killed it. It was amazing and out of this world. Uh, you know, and I'm seeing Burgess as well, you know, and guys like McManus is, you know, that are much more in terms of, you know, they're atheists. I mean, they're socialists. They're not against religion. They're not religious or they're not spiritual in any way. But all of a sudden, you know, they're having to go out and deal with larger questions of existential meaning um, and move into, you know, theology. I mean, you know, why is Matt writing about Kierkegaard or why is he going out and diving into, you know, Tillich and that type of stuff? So that's all rebubbling up to the surface. And it's to me, it's it's real. Like I hate the whole meaning crisis framing of things. To me, is all of a sudden I think we're we're fully engrossed in terms of you know what Rollo May and Tillich were talking about in terms of existential psychology, and I think you know, and I'm fascinated as well that you know Rollo May and Tillich were the ones that were picking on Wilbur at the time in the pages of humanistic psychology and everything else, and saying that you know they were. They were saying that, no, like, yeah, sure, you can go and embrace sort of East Asian philosophy and that type of stuff, but we need to go and have some of these larger type conversations. And all of a sudden, that's, to use your language, you know, that's coming back up now, right? And, uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's something that we're going to go and be wrestling with. Because the meaning crisis to me is just like, it's it's superficial fluff spirituality still. It's not the real deep sort of existential type stuff, I think, that... Um, you know, that humanistic psychology or psychologists were really going out and building in. Uh, yeah, and I have yeah. a feeling and, that and even with um, 
like that question of meaning crisis, you know, just on a superficial level, trying to understand or analyze the, that, that framing, um, it immediately brings us to these questions. Well, do we have time to live a meaningful life? Mm. You know, I mean, it immediately goes into how are we organizing ourselves as a society, socioeconomically? What's, what are the driving factors and forces? Do we have, do we have uh, the capacity to kind of be in relationship with those sorts of questions, right? Um, and again, which is why I think the economic dimension is is very welcome and very much why I was interested in in continue to work with, with Michael about that and kind of bringing, as he says, you know, having that um, Marxist analysis, but also bringing in that kind of integral orientation that Gramsci, Gramsci oriented himself towards, right? And, and asking these kinds of meaningful questions and existential questions about, okay, what are the, the existential dimensions of, the, of, of late capitalism? Or um, for me, it's also been understanding Mark Fisher's work and appreciating his emphasis on time and temporics is this kind of, you know, he borrowed from, from Berardi a bit, but the slow cancellation of the future. And why do we have this kind of sense in which the future is canceled? What are the processes that have contributed to that, right? How does that link not only to um, a Marxist analysis, but more of these existential dimensions or with, with Gebser's terms or the consciousness dimensions and his, history of worldview dimensions that I think also play into understanding that as a whole, right? So they, they do have a lot of synergy with each other and kind of coming together that way. And I do think, um, you know, like, like uh, Kim Stanley Robinson talks about, uh, who's been on Jacobin recently, uh, that, that the recent series of crises, particularly the um, global pandemic has helped because of the kind of disruptions it's created has helped uh, at least create an opening to begin to rethink how we're doing society, right? Is helping to rewrite our imaginations as it were. And um, at least implying the need for a, a new kind of biopolitics, right? That, uh, that uh, you know, I, whether or not you agree with Benjamin Bratton's positions on things, he's, he's calling it the revenge of the real, right? That these biological, planetary, ecological realities have to become a part of how we organize our society and, and we have to rethink these systems of care, right? These, these social institutions that are gonna be dealing with an influx of crises like this, right? Or refugees and displacement. Uh, so, so there's so much that's interconnected here, right? Between capital consciousness, climate. Um, it makes sense that we kind of need, uh, if not a, a singular framework, then at least a method to move between these different, um, theories of, of whether it's a Marxist analysis, whether it is a more integral analysis, whether it's existential uh, psychology, right? We need this capacity to move back and forth between any of these um, analyses and to kind of hold them together, again, not as a singular synthesis, but just that capacity to ha have that more dialogical and relational uh, metapraxis, as it were. And that's sort of where, as you're talking to, in terms of like Michael's work, um, I think he was imagining a left that could begin to do that and that the left's edge would be, um, again, a kind of metapraxis, that capacity to take different positions of worldview, to be transdisciplinary, right? Or Guattari talks about that sort of transversal move. Um, these being the kind of cutting countercultural edges that maybe the left could integrate and empower itself to actually build effective coalitions, right? Um, so so that, those are the kind of conversations we were having, right? again, right around the time he was, uh, he, uh, he had passed away, but I think he anticipated, or at least was a go was going to experiment with this possibility of 
let's really take integral thinking, whether it's theory or Morin's work with complexity, let's, let's go into it and see how that might help actually build the left up in a new way, right? And, and kind of give it the, um, allow it to speak to this, these times of complexity, right? Where we do have to be thinking about climate and economy, right? And, and how we might create a bridge towards a post-capitalist future, right? He called it, we need exit strategies. And the left has to really be good at providing those exit strategies and be media savvy about it too, as you're saying, like the, the, the right is quite capable of doing, right? In terms of medium is the message. I think the right has gotten the message in terms of, yeah, okay, we live in a hyper-mediated environment. So let's work with that pastiche and reimagine our own history and, and reinvent ourselves and, and insulate our media so that we can you know, effectively create those kinds of spaces. I'm not saying that the left should do that in that kind of um, post-truth way, as it were, but that we really need to be literate and savvy with presenting ourselves and our arguments, right, that are, that are effective in building solidarity and building coalitions and speaking outside of our own circles, right? And as you're, I think you're right with Ben doing that, uh, especially recently on uh, the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, uh, there needs to be more of that kind of thing going on for sure. Mm. No, and even his conversation with uh, Doug Lane, if you haven't had time to check it out, I mean, he did a, a sort of debrief on his Joe Rogan type experience. And uh, Doug actually nailed it. He said that, you know, like that he appreciated more his his conversation with uh, Bob Wright because he felt that Bob Wright had, you know, hit him up harder on, on questions of, of hedges, uh, not hedges, but uh, Hitchens uh, around um, problems with the left and religion. And I thought that was really fascinating as well. And, uh, you know, just I'm about halfway through Ben's book, actually. And, uh, you know, and Ben is really, because of Michael, essentially willing to go out and say that, you know, yeah, you know, there needs to be this space on the left to go and deal with these existential type questions and larger metaphysical and philosophical type questions. And that he said that if we actually go out and deal with the the material conditions of our day-to-day -day lives, then that's what it's going to go and allow us to do, right? I mean, there's going to be more time for education, more time for leisurely type of, you know, exploration in terms of some of these practices and, and worldviews and, and uh, enact our way into it. And that's what I find um, so fascinating about, you know, McManus and uh, some of the guys over at the pill pod and stuff like that. They're very much grounded in, in an active sort of phenomenological sort of base practice along, you know, everything that's being spoken about and talked about with Evan Thompson and Verveke as well in terms of four ecogsci, right? So they're all embracing that and they're all philosophically grounded in that kind of of thinking. So that to me is super exciting to go and see uh, happening, but it's, it's happening on the left. Right. Uh, and on the right, I'm not seeing that at all at this point, what I'm seeing at the right, you know, is basically it's, it's postmodern conservatism. It's pure reactionary type of, of behavior that has no uh, real response or larger a container to go and start to unpack some of these these types of of uh, of questions and and address it. I think really philosophically uh, in a sophisticated way, uh, the way I'm seeing in various circles, you know, you know, with Matt and you know, and Habermas as well. I mean, Habermas in terms of a thinker. I mean, because Wilbur, you know, leads into Habermas, um, but I mean, he's a great 
you know, sort of introductory type work to, to, to start to move into some of these larger, difficult philosophical uh, traditions and thinkers and start to really digging into the nitty gritty. And that's what I'm seeing is that, you know, there's a whole generation now of people that are moving up and that have the, the chops to start to do that. And that is like crazy. Like, I mean, I'm seeing a level of sophistication and, and discourse that I haven't seen, you know, uh, previously, right? I mean, it's not just talking about, you know, the mean green mean or, you know, orange whatever. Like, it's really getting into the nitty gritty type stuff around these thinkers. And, uh, you know, these are people with PhDs and they're young and they're like unbelievably sophisticated in their thinking and ability to go out and communicate. I mean, when I think of, you know, like, I mean, you're just starting your PhD. Matt is a young PhD, both Matt's. Ben, uh, I mean, Doug Lane is, I mean, he's an older sort of veteran within the field, within a particular publishing house that, you know, in terms of stuff like that. But I mean, there's a lot of young intellectuals that are coming up and I'm just like super excited to, to, to go out and, uh, well, just keep these conversations going. I mean, that's really the, the point of my pod is that, uh, you know, I want to have, you know, some of you guys on and just, you know, let it rip and start to see what will go out and, and come out of this. Because uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on. It's exciting time. But the, uh, yeah, you got to yeah. listen to, uh, <laughs> to Ben and Doug Lane's conversation. I thought it was hilarious uh, in terms of hearing them talk about religion so much, uh, you know, kind of post-Michael. Um, and to me, the, 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 I, I, I refer to it now as just the religious left. Because I think spirituality now has is, is got a bit of a bad rap, you know, and then all of a sudden there's the religious right. Yeah, but there's a huge tradition on the religious left uh, that needs to, yeah, be, yeah. to be reintegrated and re-explored and put forward as well. Um, and I appreciated Matt. Uh, McManus talking about that on, on his chat with you, just, you know, in terms of you know, Michael being more drawn in practice to Eastern spiritual practices, right? But uh, in Eastern philosophy and spirituality, but Matt being more gravitating, gravitating more towards the Christian socialist movement and its history. And I, I think Michael was certainly open to that, especially with Cornell West and, and the fantastic conversation he had. That's thankfully, um, there's a clip of it online where he's talking about a Machiavellian spirituality, right? Um, but yeah, I think, I think the religious dimensions are so key in terms of, um, just getting the particular secular histories of the left to acknowledge that if we're really going to be international in the context of, you know, the global South, quote unquote, and the role of religion, liberation theology in Latin America, right? I mean, that's a huge, uh, or again, with Cornell West and, and African American spirituality and how that's been a very much a part of a socialist political imaginary, right? Like, it's, Or it's even just all, a real cosmopolitan not some yeah. superficial, you know, globalism or, you know, internationalism. Uh, but I mean, let's go out and have a real conversation. What cosmopolitan means, right? And yeah. That, you yeah. Know, what, 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 what would the world look like if we, we keep that diversity alive in all these various traditions in the mix along with everything else that's going on? Um, that, that's serious work. You know, it really, I mean, there's, <laughs> 
there's a <laughs> lot of crazy. like instinctual like i don't want to enter like, i mean i even got that from from going on michael's show sometimes it would be yeah. you know a marxist going like uh forget about all this consciousness weird stuff michael don't don't bother with any of that why are you having so so there's been some some tension about that too i think uh you know on the left a want not a need to reject anything that is a bit more not even just countercultural, but again, anything related to religion, it's been, you know, so that kind of knee jerk reaction, um, not saying that like, if somebody listening to this has that, that they're, that they're just, uh, they're not being good about it. I think it, it's, it's a, it's a challenge, right? It, it, it requires you to actually show up and have those difficult conversations and to think through things and um, to actually learn to listen right and and be part of a dialogue so and that's coalition building you're not going to agree necessarily on on those kinds of deep positions if you have a more secular um take on things but i mean just even in terms of an effective international left right a cosmo a true cosmopolitanism it means there's going to be a diversity of positions that are coming together right and organizing together so what does that actually look like effectively in practice and again that was why i think michael's show um you know, you know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with this is kind of an adjacent analogy, but it it circles back. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar with um, the Bauhaus movement and and the kind of design theories that the Bauhaus movement in the 1910s was doing in Germany. But um, uh, they had a kind of interesting sense of, of throwing people in a room together that are from very different fields and disciplines um, and allowing them to kind of just brush shoulders in the hallways and end up kind of coming together in interesting ways and, and, and doing some sort of um, uh, innovating in, in surprising ways because they're actually not being siloed and they're, and they're being exposed to one another. And then during World War II, there was, in, there was this building at MIT, I forget the name of it. Basically, it was a mess of a building. It was falling apart. It was shoddily built. And um, they threw all these scientists and engineers in during World War II to, to, to have their own little workspaces. But since it was such a labyrinth of a building, all these different departments started talking with one another. And it's that cross-talking that really generated this um, a whole bunch of different innovations that's coming out of this building, right? So, so I'm using those architectural and spatial metaphors to say, you know, with Michael's show, he was bringing on people doing local and international politics. He was bringing on people talking about, to some degree, the spiritual dimension of things or the consciousness studies dimension of things. And then sometimes there'd be some cross-talking, but he'd be the one often doing that in terms of bringing these different folks together in, in one space. And you know, if there's any kind of practice that I hope would continue, you know, like not every, nobody's going to be Michael, but in terms of that kind of practice, understanding what he was doing and why it was effective, I think, you know, in our own little ways, we can continue to do that. So I'm, I'm happy to hear you saying like, you want to continue these kinds of conversations. And, oh, for sure. You know, bring yeah. the integral in, in, to interface with, uh, you know, what McManus is doing or what Burgess is doing, right? Or, um, uh, you know, part of the conversations we were also having, uh, this is a separate subject, but Ben Bosch and I were talking about this with what do we do about all this web three stuff and crypto is this all kind of bullshit or is there something the left needs to do similar to spirituality where, um, you know, don't just disown this and allow the rights or libertarian Silicon Valley to just hijack the whole, 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, I really like what like James Muldoon is talking about in his platform socialism book just mm-hmm. came out. And um, that was another one of the edges I think Michael was looking at in terms of you know, engaging in culture effectively and then also not allowing that that co-opting to continue to take place. But where applicable, where strategic actually kind of get in there and and uh, reposition it. So, I mean, these are practices I think we all can do in our own rights, right, in our own capacity. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, and but, but I guess my goal or because I mean, through the conversations, obviously, we've been having on your discord and stuff like that, because I mean, without Michael sort of there, the, the flag out on the far, far left is just not as present or as visible or as a voice that's strong there. Um, and I mean, I'm facing that here in Canada as well. I mean, the, the Canadian left is very different than the American left, you know, and that's another subject that I hope to to, to go and explore a bit more on the pod uh, because the, I think the Canadian left has a critical role to go out and play within North America as well. Um, like we can't just be copying what you guys are doing down in, in, in the States. I mean, there's obviously, you know, there's, we're so close to one another. We speak, well, one, I speak two languages. I don't know how many languages you speak, uh, you know, and with a bit of Italian in terms of, so in terms of, Canada is, is extremely much more multicultural, but it's a multiculturalism that is being forced together because we live next to you guys. <laughs> it's not a natural, uh, right? So if you if you listen to a guy like Peterson, you're hearing this, right? Because he's worried about, you know, like, well, how competitive are we going to go out and be if we go out and maintain this diversity? And to me, that's 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 like that's a dumb question like that's not like that's not even canadian in terms of how we've maintained our front as a, a unified sort of uh, uh sort of national you know uh or even patriotic sort of view of ourselves so i mean even for myself i'm quite patriotic for a canadian and i come across that way at times where i realize that that's the french in me because i grew up in quebec and that the 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 the, uh, the the, the reality in Quebec, because it's such a small minority, they're so tight-knit and they need to be much more nationalistic and collectivist in terms of how we, you know, we go out and maintain, how are we going to go out and maintain the French language in North America? We're within a sea of, of Anglophones. So it's always a question of, of how do we go out and fight and duke that out. But that sort of framework plays a very interesting sort of, of, of role within Canada, but also within North America. Because it, it grounds Canada in a much more sort of nationalistic, patriotic sort of discourse, which for a lot of people are allergic to. But as somebody that's bilingual, I mean, I don't have a problem swimming in that kind of 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 discourse. Um, so, I mean, I was happy to go and discuss that with Matt as well, because Matt, because of his sort of very public sort of... Uh, you know, rise to fame in terms of some of his writings and being pulled into the Jackson sphere and stuff like that. He's been pulled in much more, I think, within the American discourse than most people have. So watching him, I, I mean, it's it's made me rethink, you know, and to to appreciate what Michael was talking about in terms of a cosmopolitan sort of worldview. What does that really mean? Um, and, you know, uh, if it's, it is a cosmopolitan localism, I don't have a problem with that either. Or if it is a cosmopolitan socialism, how that's going to go and be played out and how we, we work out those details to me is exciting. Um, it's That's just an interesting conversation to go and be had and keep on going and pushing because he just left a framework out there. You know, it's cosmopolitan socialism or what really is cosmopolitanism. 
is is such a a complicated subject to really go out and sort of explore and, and flesh out. Uh, but it's exciting, you know, in terms of where I'm coming from. And I'm so excited to see or discover other people as well, right? Like talking to you and, you know, other people through the Discord and, you know, and the, the larger sort of network that's still there that's firing on the left uh, and how we start to go out and organize and speak to one another and start communicating on a more regular basis. Uh, I mean, it just needs to be done. I think we need to do that. <laughs> yeah, amen. I, I think, um, you know, part of that, that work is, I mean, this, again, why Michael was drawn to the weird countercultural stuff or the weird um, uh, theory stuff, right? Because he was talking about peer-to-peer -peer and um, they're talking about cosmolocal production. And again, um, in integral ecology, there's this discussion around cosmopolitics, which also kind of holds the local and the global. So, so there's some interesting theoretical work ha that has been done on that kind of move of the keeping cosmopolitan, but also keeping local. And in terms of practicing that, yeah, you know, on our shows, on, on the media that we put out, on the theory that we... We, we continue to build together. We, it's, it's a kind of an experimental time, you know, trying to figure out, okay, so there's corroboration across these different fields about this move, right? To kind of, to go towards the planetary doesn't mean necessarily top-down globalization. It means as, you know, Michael talks about these, building these kinds of mesh works, right? Rooted in the local, but also being able to reach towards the international and holding those simultaneously, I think is a, it's how we do that there's probably more than one way and, you know, it requires us to be talking with each other be sharing notes, be supporting each other's work, you know, uh, and getting that message out there effectively through nice, slick looking, well-branded media savvy um, presentations, which I think Michael is also quite good at. And it's a good mm -hmm. lesson for us too, in terms of, you know, the framework, uh, the theoretical framework and, and the, you know, how to be talking across different positions and fields. Yeah. But then also how it all is, is wrapped up and presented. Right. Um, you know, that's a certain, takes a certain type of skill for that as well, but. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's something I think that we're all growing into. We're all trying to go and enact and, and, and put into action. I think now, you know, and that's not easy. I mean, it's, it requires us to be reflective, but also to go, you know, be experimental in terms of how we go out and throw ourselves out there. But I'm, I'm happy to hear as well. I mean, your, your exploration of like Thomas Berry and the whole stuff around integral ecology, because that's a whole network as well. That is really, I mean, one, it's academically solid in terms of the, the networks that it is. And it reaches all the way up into the California Institute of Integral Studies, right? And it goes from Yale to, to Berkeley to, to Harvard. Uh, and I mean, the Thomas Berry sort of archives uh, and Evelyn's work uh, is just fantastic. To, you know, uh, interesting type stuff. And the amazing thing that most people don't realize, I think, about Thomas Berry is that he was so... I mean, he was a huge cosmopolitan sort of thinker, right? I mean, most of his research in terms of his MA and PhD work type work was actually on Confucianism and East Asian philosophies, yet he never lost his sort of, of uh, a Catholic roots and sort of attachments to Western philosophy and Christianity and the larger sort of story there as well, um, which is very difficult to do, um, you know, 
And that to me is exciting as well, right? Because now you're seeing people that are so much more grounded within their own sense of identity, their own sense of cultural, uh, uh, of history, uh, and that are enacting from a, a very embodied sort of tradition and wisdom, right? That's coming to the fore now, whether it be from, you know, indigenous type cultures and, and rea- uh, 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 practices, or even from, you know, Western and, you know, global sort of traditions as well. I mean, the Dugan thing is to me is scary, but uh, it is, I mean, it needs to be respected in a certain way as well, right? I mean, he's talking about a sort of Eurasian tradition that if you are a Westerner that grew up in, in, in North America or anywhere else in the world, you wouldn't understand what that, that worldview necessarily really is all about in that culture. Now, I mean, we can go out and be reactionary to it. And I mean, I think we should be skeptical in terms of how this stuff is going up and being enacted. And that to me is um, a difficult conversation to go out and be had because the question is, you know, like how does power play into this and how does, you know, democratically uh, run type systems and even democratically run type systems. I mean, I don't even know what that means anymore, really. (laughs) Like, yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, like in Canada or even in the U.S., I mean, could we really actually go out and say that this is a, a well-run countries that are democratic? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I don't. you know, like, like I, I don't know, like everything is in flux there in terms of, of, of stuff around that. So, uh, so it's, it's such rich territory and it's such, uh, I mean, it's, it's exciting and like, again, you know, it's scary all at the same time, but. Um, you know, I'm seeing some, some, some players out there now that I think that really have the chops and they're grounded. I mean, you know, I'm so happy to see that you're grounded in various institutions as well. Right. I mean, you're coming from Fordham, you're coming from Goddard and now you're at the California Institute of Integral Studies. Uh, I mean, you're going from traditional education type background to the alternative and the best of the alternative. It's not like, you know, they've been around for a long time now. That to me is just as a, a subject to go out and explore. I would love to to have you back on and have you reflect about that because that's a pretty amazing journey, uh, you know, from your undergrad all the way up to your PhD now in terms of, you know, type of learning environments and pedagogical type based approaches that you've been exposed to and which ones you prefer and which ones you don't. And, you know, what's, what's a, you know, within this new kind of technological sort of environment, you know, like how, how did we, how do we do that? Right. I mean, you're a walking yeah. experiment and <laughs> in all of this as well, you know, like it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's exciting times. And, uh, you know, I mean, just, I guess for us to go out and finish up as well. I mean, like, I mean, I'm just so grateful to, to have, to have, to have met you now and to, to have these, these conversations with you, Jeremy, it's been amazing. And, uh, and I'm so happy that you put up that discord and you've been plowing away at this type of stuff for, 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 and exposed me to some of these different ideas as well. So this is a new sort of online friendship that I really go and cherish. Thank you, Eric. The feeling's mutual. Let's, let's keep building this together. You know, I feel like that's, that's what it comes down to, right? Just having these kinds of conversations, um, and again, like, you know, in, in the context of Michael and, and, and being a friend to him, the, the surprising way he was able to just sort of reach out and, and check up on you and, and want to hear what you're reading and what you're thinking about and v- being very open to how, you know, 
he was working on his show, hearing your influence on that, like, you know, the crossover of different ideas, you know, building that kind of network, I think is just a, it's a wonderful practice. It's, it's humanizing, you know, it's, it's um, empowering. And I've really appreciated our conversations uh, as of late, especially, but this was great too. And yeah, I'd be happy to come on anytime and, and talk more about the kind of academic trajectory of, uh, uh, what I've been working on and, and, and commenting on that, but yeah, let's keep building this, you know, this is, yeah, this no, is how it's rock done. on definitely to be continued. And, uh, we're going to be having a lot more conversations. I feel 